Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Right now, we're in the middle, uh, the end, actually, of our series on Christmas, and we're calling it More Than a Holiday. And the reason we've called it More Than a Holiday, sometimes as the church, and if you're not a church person, you say, I I rarely go to church, I definitely don't call myself a Christian, but I just, somebody invited me and I came. First of all, we're thrilled that you're here. But sometimes, you'll understand this, church folks get real touchy about Christmas, in in that church folks get real frustrated that it's not all about Santa, and it's not about buying gifts, it's about the birth of Jesus. And we do agree, that is right. However, even in the church sometimes, we, we relegate Christmas to the birth of a baby. And what we're saying in this series, oh no, it's more than that. Remember that baby grew up. Remember that baby died for our sins, was crucified. That baby was buried and that baby rose from the dead. His spirit was sent, lives in us and matters today. That baby makes a difference in our lives today. And we've looked at some different ways. We've looked at how Jesus helps us make better decisions today. Pastor Amos preached on, we talked about wisdom and how Christ gives us wisdom today. We talked about how That baby who was born 2,000 years ago and rose again from the dead helps us when we're being tempted today. Specifically, we talked about the temptation to give in and give up and how Jesus gives us strength for that today. And we're going to look at another area today, and that is specifically with regards to suffering. And we're going to be answering primarily this question. How does that baby born 2,000 years ago help me when I'm suffering today in 2021? I'm suffering today. What difference does that make? Great Christmas, great baby was born, great. What does that have to do with me today? And in 2021, how does that baby help me? So I'm going to ask if you would turn in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going back to the Old Testament. Right? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, if you get that, when you've got it in your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're newer here, just so you notice, we don't stand, sit, stand, sit the whole time, but we do this. This is a, a thing for us at our church. We don't say it's right or wrong. If you don't do it at your church or if you've gone to churches that don't stand when they read, it's not wrong. We just do it for us. It's a good reminder for us that this isn't just a book written by some guys. This is God who is speaking to us now. Isaiah 53, I'm starting in verse 1, and it says this. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a, a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Let us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your holy word. And thank you that it's not just a book written by some guys. This is you, God, speaking, speaking to us today in 2021. And I'm, I'm praying, Father, that your Holy Spirit will, will reveal more of you to us, more of your character, more of your nature. And speak to our specific situations, God, in our lives today. Speak to us, oh God. Reveal yourself. Draw us to you. Do it in a way that only brings honor and glory to your great name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. You guys, uh, you, you know this. You know that we live in an age where there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of stress. And, and uh, everybody that I know that's a mental health care professional, they're just backed up, backed up, backed up, backed up. My counselor that I see uh, has said that to me, backed up, backed up, backed up. I had to cancel an appointment uh, not that long ago and then to try to get rescheduled with him, uh, it's scheduled way out because he's so busy. So I thought, you know, perhaps, um, and I appreciate that you folks showed up today, but maybe this could be more of a counseling session for me and I get some things, you know, off my chest. So really a lot of it started for me probably in second grade. Second grade was a, a tougher time to me and I don't really, I don't really know how to describe myself. In second grade, I was kind of, uh, I don't know the perfect name. The perfect name, like that's a good, I was big boned. I was big boned in second grade. I was, in second grade, I weighed 125 pounds in the second grade, you know? And so, yeah, some of you aren't great at math and I don't, I don't laugh at you, okay? So, so, so I was kind of a, a bigger kid. I was a little bit bigger kid, you know? And so I remember this specifically in that it was, it was time to go back to school. Right, and so my mother would take us to do the back to school shopping, and so of course we went to Sears and Roebuck, right? Because we wore tough skins, exactly. We had the tough skins have the knees, the reinforced knees, you know. And so I was trying on jeans, and I, they just weren't fitting right. Like my tough skins were just not fitting right. And I'd go in and try another pair; they weren't fitting right. And the clerk was giving my mom another pair of jeans, and and they weren't fitting right. And then it kind of happened. I remember the clerk was standing with my mother and I came out of the dressing room again with a pair of jeans and they weren't fitting right. And this is, this is a little emotional for me. So I just, and she said to my mother, you'll, you'll have to try the, uh, you're going to have to try the Huskies. <laughs> and I was devastated, man. Like, are you kidding me? Like, shh, no one can know. My friends cannot know in the second grade I'm wearing Huskies. Like, I, I was just crushed. And so it's the weirdest thing, the way that that impacted me. Because I remember going home and I told my mom, like, I was just heartbroken. I got to wear Huskies. And so in the second grade, in the second grade, my mother began to talk to me about how we eat and about exercise and that we need to eat right. And ex- from then on, we got one can of pop a week on Fridays when my mother went to the grocery store, we got to pick out our color of Shasta, which who's with purple Shasta? Man, love, love me some purple Shasta, right? And we had one can of pop a week and we stopped eating ridiculous foods and we started running. As a second grader, I remember learning to, to exercise. I'd go run around the block. I'd learn to run around the block. And so the weirdest thing happened for me from the time that I was in second grade until today, I love to exercise. I love to work out. We eat really good at our house. From that day forward, I mean, exercise, like 
played sports, but I mean like exercise, like worked out. Today, even today, I love to go to the gym. Most nights I come home from work, we go for a walk. Like I just love exercise. I love working out. I, I love it. I love eating healthy. And so with that as a background, man, you can, you can think for a minute. You, you, you can imagine how challenging it was and how difficult it was for me when I found out in my 20s that I'm a diabetic. I'm like, I'm the kid who eats good. I'm the kid who exercises. I'm not a type two. Like, like I'm a type one. Like, your pancreas, it doesn't work anymore. It's never going to produce insulin again. For the rest of your life, you're going you're gonna to inject insulin. You're, you're always thinking about it. It's always there. And Kimmy will tell you, man, sometimes I'm a brat because I'm frustrated by it. Now, now here's the reality. This is my suffering. This is suffering for me. It just bothers me. It just it frustrates me, and it angers me at times. And there are some of you in the room who would just go, oh, brother, I'll trade you in a heartbeat. I'd be a diabetic in a heartbeat because what I'm going through, what I deal with, the way that I've suffered, right, it's been really, really hard for you. And so this is what I want to talk about this morning is suffering. How does Jesus help us in our suffering today? And I would say I've learned this. Suffering becomes a relative thing. Because you're so, most of the people in the room would say, I'd rather be a diabetic than do what, deal with what I deal with. I get that. And, and, and so I'm not making light of anybody's suffering. I'm just saying that, that, that there's a different way for followers of Christ. There's a different way. Because most people are just trying to endure their suffering. They're just trying to get through their suffering. They're, they're just trying to hold on until their suffering is over. And I'm saying, I think it's actually different for followers of Christ. I think there's a different path. I think our perspective needs to change. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is not just getting through it. Not just getting through it. The question is this. Is it possible to thrive? Is it possible for me to thrive in my suffering? Whatever your suffering is. And I don't know what your suffering is. Some of you are suffering because you're in a really tough relationship. You're just suffering. I mean, it's really hard for you. It's daily hard for you. It's hourly hard for you. You come home and it's hard for you. You get up in the morning and it's hard for you. Some of you are struggling with that. You're suffering. See, some of you are suffering with health conditions. And I know some of your stories. And it's been just brutal for you. Like, you're really wrestling with health. It's been so hard for you. And you're saying, God, why me? And God, how do I get through this? And God, what do I do? See, some of you are struggling with, you're suffering with financial problems. Right, And your finances have been tough. And then you lost a job. And you're like, God, why are we suffering like this? Why is this, why is this happening to us, God? We, we seem to be innocent. I mean, we eat right. We exercise. How am I suffering this financial hardship like this? Right? Some of you are suffering because someone you know is dealing with one of these. Like you have a loved one who just, some of you are suffering because your kids are just in peril. Your kids have gone so far. And you're suffering. Some of you, some of you, it's your parents. Like some of you, I've talked to folks who found out later in life their parents are getting divorced and it's just crushing you and you're suffering and you're struggling. I don't know what your suffering is. I'm saying I believe this. I believe that we'll see this in the word this morning, that there's a different way for followers of Jesus, that we don't just, you know, grit our teeth and get through it and I just got to hold on until this is over. I'm saying there's a better way. I think we'll see it. I think our perspective will change as we see that we can thrive and not just survive. We're going to see three areas, and I'll walk you through these. And I'm not a big one for a three-point sermon, so you don't need to remember the three points. I just want to give you a roadmap. We're going to see the suffering of Jesus himself. 
I think that's going to give us some comfort. I, I think it'll give us some understanding. We're going to see the submission of Jesus. I think that's going to challenge us. I, I just know this. It challenges me. When I see how Jesus submitted to the process of suffering, it challenged me. And then we're going to see the sovereignty of God. And I think that's really going to have a potential to change our perspective from here on out, like moving forward. And so I want, to, I want you to look in your Bible. Look at this passage, Isaiah 53, and look at verse 1. Now, just so you know this, uh, Isaiah 53 is a messianic chapter. The prophet Isaiah wrote this. Think about this now. This is crazy to me. 2,700 years ago. The prophet Isaiah writes this, 2,700 years ago, 700 roughly, 700 years before Christ himself. And so because it's a messianic chapter, he's writing about the Messiah, the coming Messiah that wouldn't come for another 700 years, who we now know as Jesus. And he says this, who has believed our message? Now just stop a minute, because I want you to get this. I want you to understand this point that Isaiah is writing. Isaiah, Isaiah, the great prophet wrote this. And here's what he's saying in essence, buckle up. This is going to be crazy. No one's going to believe what I'm about to say. That, that's what Isaiah is acknowledging. And then he says, to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Specifically, the arm of not only power, but he's speaking of God's great control. That this is a God who controls everything. To who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, my servant. Now just stop. Messianic chapter. Who's the servant? Jesus. He's writing about Jesus. Every time you see that, you can just figure it says he or it says servant. You know he's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus, my servant, grew up in the Lord's presence like a green shoot. Translation, the Messiah is not a mighty oak, everybody. He's not the all-powerful conqueror that a lot of folks are expecting. That's what he's telling us. He grew up like a, in the presence like a green shoot. And then he says, like a root in dry ground. Very interesting language that he would say that, a root in dry ground. Remember this? The nation of Israel, big strip of land. The southern region is Judea. Judea is where everything happens because Jerusalem is in Judea. Jerusalem, that's where all the movers and the shakers hang out. The political authority for Jews is there. Then you have Samaria. Skip that for, right? Don't think about Samaria. Then there's, there's Galilee in the north. That's where Jesus grew up. Jesus grew up in, in, in Galilee. And so think about this. Because it's not where Jerusalem is, it would be political dry ground. It would be spiritual dry ground. Even in terms of standards of living, Galilee would have been a dry ground. Can I just make this point for just a minute? God can bring the most amazing things out of really dry ground. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes. Right? And then he goes on in the same verse and he says this. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There's nothing to attract us to him. Nobody saw Jesus and went, I bet that dude was prom king. <laughs> Nobody said that. Nobody saw Jesus and said, ooh, so attractive. I want to follow him. Nobody said that, right? Isaiah goes on. He says, not only was he not attractive that we would be attracted to him, more than that, it says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, Acquainted with deepest grief. Now, and I, I love that the prophet said this. Now, he didn't say a man of sorrow. Do you notice that? Do you notice that it's plural? Jesus knew sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. Not just grief. Jesus knew it. I'm going to ask you something. Do you have sorrows today? Do you experience grief? Because I'll tell you this. Jesus did. Jesus knew sorrows. I mean, like, really 
really sorrows, plural. He knew the deepest kinds of grief. Uh, John Stott uh, was British author, pastor, theologian, teacher. John Stott once said, in the world of real pain, who could worship a God who's immune to it? I love that. We don't. We worship a God who's acquainted with sorrows. We worship a God who's acquainted with pain. Deepest grief. I love how he says that. Then you get to verse 4. And he says, and yet, now it starts to make a little turn. And we start to see something's at work here. That it was actually our weaknesses that he carried. It was actually our sorrows that weighed him down. See, the writer here, Isaiah, is starting to make a turn. We're starting to see something different. And he says something that's most interesting that I had to think about over the last three weeks. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. That's what the people of that day thought. That, the, that what Jesus was experiencing when he was crucified on the cross were the result of his own sins. Now, think about this. A lot of people thought, yes, indeed, Jesus is on the cross and he's being crucified for what he taught. That's, what, that's how we always think of it, for what he said and the things he taught. But understand this, that there were a lot of people who thought that it was more than that. Remember this? Now, you've got to think about this. Jesus was the child of a woman who got pregnant outside of wedlock. Remember, this is an honor culture. Honor is everything. Do you know how much shame there would be for Jesus his entire life? Mary's explanation when she found out that she was pregnant and people found out that she was pregnant and she wasn't married, uh, it, it was the Holy Spirit. No, really, it was. Like, good luck explaining that. It's true, we believe that, the virgin birth. We believe in the Immaculate Conception. We, we believe that Jesus was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But try explaining that. So now he has to live that life. Think about that. His whole life. Oh, that's the illegitimate kid right there. I mean, he knew deepest grief. He knew sorrows. He knew, he knew rejection. Jesus wasn't just mistreated. He was completely misunderstood. I mean, he suffered. I mean, he suffered. So we've seen the suffering of Jesus. I want to see, show you the submission of Jesus. And this really challenged me. And I'm hoping that it challenges some of you. And, and if it does, let it challenge you. Just, just let that happen. The writer goes on. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 in your Bibles. It says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, but never said a word. We never read about Jesus complaining. Like, man, nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. I'm doing everything right. And here I have my crit. Never said a word. Not a word. And further, the writer says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And, by the way, as a sheep before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. Now, this is very interesting to me. Because here's a lamb being led to slaughter. This is very different. This is a lamb being led to the shearers. This is not great suffering. This is like, hey, we're going to cut your hair and send you loose. Right? That's what this is. This is the extreme opposite. I'm saying on that whole spectrum, on the whole spectrum of suffering, like, hey, you're going to get a haircut, and hey, we're going to cut your throat and bleed you out. On that whole spectrum, with everything that happened, nothing. No complaining. Man, I was challenged by that. Because anybody knows me, you know I'm a whiner. Like, I'm the biggest whiner. Oh, no, grapefruit went up. You know, I'm like, like, aren't we? Aren't we like that sometimes? I mean, sometimes you all suffer real stuff. I get it. I get it. And if, you, if you'd bark about that, I get you. 
I get you. I'm the same way. Man, but what about when grapefruit goes up? What, what about, you know, like, we complain about the most trivial things, especially in the season, oh, no, I can't eat at Chili's. They've told me I can't go to Chili's. That ain't persecution. Are you serious? Fright? And then the writer goes on. Isaiah says he'd done no wrong, and he never deceived anybody, but he was still buried like a criminal. Like, doesn't it just seem unfair? It's just not right. No complaining. No griping. Then he says this, but. And you know this. We talk about this all the time. Every time you're headed in one direction, you see the word but. You know you're about to go in a different direction. You're going somewhere else. You may go completely this way, but it may just take you down a different trail. But just heads up, we're going a slightly different direction. Now, we talked about the suffering of Jesus, and we've talked about the submission, how he just submitted to the process. Jesus submitted to the process. That's why he wasn't barking and whining and complaining. Why? Because he understands the sovereignty of, of God. I think of man, if we'll just allow this to soak in for a minute, I think this can radically shape us as followers of Christ. Now, I, I'm a big proponent of this. Remember this. Everybody's watching. If you've ever told anybody that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, if you've ever even told folks that you go to church, you do know at some level they're watching, right? And so the way that we interact with people, the way that we behave when we're out and about, the way that we behave in public and in private in our own homes, Right? Folks are watching. And so if we would just submit to the process, and the reason we submit to the process is because we understand the sovereignty of God. Remember the, remember the song you used to sing when you were a little kid? He got the whole world. Yeah, not real good, but you got it. That's right, you know. And so here's the deal. That's what sovereignty means. It means that God holds everything in his hand, that he is in complete control of it. God controls God is in control of every aspect of our lives. He, nothing happens without God's permission. You do know this, that when Job was greatly tested by Satan, when he was persecuted by Satan, what did Satan have to do first? He had to go to God and get permission. Now, don't ask me why God gives permission for that stuff. I don't know. I'm not God. You've all figured that out. Right? But I do know that God is sovereign that he is in complete control at all times of everything, everything. Okay, now watch how he talks about the sovereignty of God. This is crazy stuff to me. It was actually God's good plan to crush Jesus and to cause Jesus grief. Not only that God planned it, that it was God's plan, but that the prophet says it was God's Good plan. That's hard stuff for me to swallow. This is stuff that I read and I trust as a follower of Christ. It doesn't make sense to me, but I trust it. He says, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. Now just stop and think about this for a minute. Knowing the fact that Jesus suffered and he suffered horrifically, but the fact that he did it for our sins and our rebellion, does that make you see any good? You're like, ooh, glad he did that. Like, our perspective begins to change a little bit. It was good, because he, he died for our sins. And further, Isaiah says this, he was beaten so that we could be made whole. Jesus was actually whipped so that we could be healed. Do you see now some of the goodness in this? Do you see why this was God's good plan? It was certainly for our good. No question about that. 
And then he says, yet when his life, and this is, so, this is so amazing to see, when his life is made an offering for sin, Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, will have many descendants. Now just stop and think for a minute. Raise your hand if you're one of those descendants. That's exactly right. This room is full of those descendants. We're descendants of the suffering Messiah who suffered according to God's good plan. We are the offspring of it. And further, he says this, he will enjoy a long life. Now just stop. Jesus didn't enjoy a long life. He was crucified at about the age of 33. Oh, wait a minute. What is Isaiah referring to? He will rise again. 700 years before he was ever born. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would have a long life because Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father and sits at where he currently sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is alive. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Would you say amen to the fact that his good plan has prospered? Like, it's so hard sometimes we just look at this and go, hey, he was crushed, he was pierced, he suffered, it was horrific, what a terrible thing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There might be something good that came out of this. And And then he kind of finishes this thought with this. That when he sees, when Jesus, the Messiah, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. I think personally, I think Jesus looks down today and he sees us worship God the Father Almighty as we gather together. I think he's satisfied. I think he looks at churches all over the planet today who will gather and will worship where the offspring of the suffering Messiah gather. And I think Jesus is satisfied. I think he's pleased with it. Right? Remember James, the half-brother of Jesus? Remember James always thought Jesus was a kook and then he saw him, the resurrected Jesus? And from that day forward, he called him Lord. And James writes this. Many of you will be familiar with this passage. Dear brothers and sisters... When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Let me point out a couple things. It says when, not if. Yes? Okay. Aren't the, aren't the promises that, that Christ spoke, don't they bring great comfort to you? Okay, let me, let me give you one that just comforts me day after day. In this world, you will have tribulation. Hmm. That's a promise. Welcome to the human experience, everybody. It's not a matter of if you have troubles of any kind, it's when. Like, why would we think we're immune to it? Why are we so shocked when things happen that are just negative things, right? It's when, not if. But also says any kind, any kind. Yes, grapefruit could go up. Okay, far, far worse things can happen. And we're supposed to consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, the other thing I want to point out to you is this. It is an opportunity. You don't have to take it. You understand what I'm saying? It's just an opportunity. It's just available. You don't have to take it. But it's sitting out there and it's waiting. It's an opportunity for great joy. It's an opportunity for great joy. Why would that be an opportunity for great joy? Because you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Man, it's a chance for us to grow. It's a chance for us to mature. We have no idea what God wants to bring out of different situations. We have to trust in the sovereignty of God. One of the challenges that we have with verses like this is that we don't understand what biblical joy means. Can I just tell you this? Joy does not equal giggles. Let's all say that together. Joy does not equal very good, just so you know that. That's not what it means to to have joy. Oh, I, I just laugh all the time. 
Now, let me give you a biblical definition of joy. Biblical joy, true biblical joy, followers of Christ. Joy is choosing, it's a choice to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction even. Why would that be? Because we know, this is where we trust, we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his good work in and through our lives. Can I tell you what makes me a little nervous about suffering sometimes in really difficult situations? Did you know that the ancient rabbis, every single one of them, the ancient rabbis all believed in a suffering Messiah? All ancient rabbis believed in a suffering Messiah. They believed that the Messiah would come. They believed that he would suffer greatly because of Isaiah 53. Specifically because of Isaiah 53, they knew there would be a Messiah who would suffer greatly. Jesus was crucified at about the age of 33, so let's just say roughly the year 80, 30. In about 80, 66, remember that the Romans ruled Jerusalem. So the Jews lived there, or they ruled all, uh, ruled all of Israel. The Jews lived there, and they went about their business, but they were always under the Roman oppression. In about the year 66 AD, the Jews got tired of it, and there was a great rebellion specifically in Jerusalem, but, but throughout, throughout Israel, Right? specifically throughout Judea, that southern uh, region, there was a, a, a great a rebellion. And so the emperor at that time was Nero, and Nero said, we're not having that. And so Nero sent the soldiers to work and, uh, under, under the general uh, leadership of Vespasian. And, and so uh, they pretty soon they had the, the northern region of Judea subdued. Right, And then about two years later, Nero kills himself. And so there's this... Uh, power vacuum. And so if a spacing steps in, he says, I'm taking control. And he says, we're going we're gonna to get control of Jerusalem. And so he sends troops into Jerusalem. If you've ever been, I mean, raise your hand if you've ever been to Israel. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to go, you got to go, you got to see the temple. The walls are massive at the temple. The, the old walls are still up. They're massive and they're powerful walls. And the space, he said, we're going to work and we're going to subdue all of Jerusalem. And they went in and they raided the temple and they burned the temple. They attacked the temple and they burnt it. And as punishment for that, what they did is they grabbed the Jews and they slaughtered thousands of the Jews. And then they sent a lot of the Jews into slavery, sending some of them to Egypt terrible times. A lot of the Jews that were left got dispersed throughout the empire and just tortured and killed in front of crowds for entertainment. They were suffering. And I mean, they suffered horrifically. Here's the challenge. Their suffering changed their theology. And what happened is this. By the time you get to the, middle, the medieval times, the rabbis no longer believed in a suffering Messiah. They wouldn't buy into it. They wouldn't believe it. If you go to a Jewish synagogue today, you will never hear Isaiah 53 read. They won't read it because they cannot accept that there would be a suffering Messiah. Question, who's the suffering Messiah? Okay, the suffering Messiah is Jesus. Now think about this. Because of their own suffering, it drove them away from Jesus, the suffering Messiah. See, here's where I get a little nervous about suffering is sometimes some of you, and, and some of you may be right there, and if you're there, man, I'm glad you're here, and it's okay. But I just want you to know this, that a lot of times what happens with people when they suffer is they begin to ask these questions. Well, I'll tell you this, Neil. If there, let's just say there really was a God. If there really was a God, if it's this really good God, why do bad things happen? What they're really saying is, why am I suffering? Do you understand? This is the great concern of suffering. God says, no, I mean it for your good. We have no idea what God wants to do. Hey, we had a funeral at this place yesterday. Tough, yes? Tough day. Tough day. 
I want you guys to know this. God brought something beautiful out of that. God brought something very good out of that. I was talking to Lynn Cook yesterday. And, uh, you know, I don't know, a lot of you know this. John Cook is coming home on Thursday. If you're new here, this is a brother of ours who has suffered, who the doctor said, we ain't going to do anything because he's just going to die. And we believed and we prayed. And I was talking to Lynn yesterday at this funeral. And Lynn just said, you can't even believe the good things that have come out of this. Like, you know, John, those of you who know John, you know, he's in the hospital, man. When he got his voice back, he's preaching the word. That brother's annoying. <laughs> John, if you're watching, brother, we love you. But that brother was preaching. I mean, he was preaching to nurses and to doctors and ministering. Now, question, if that doesn't happen to him, I can't get into vet's hospital. You folks can't get into vet's hospital. There was a long period of time. Nobody can get into vet's hospital. Oh, wow. God did something really awesome out of John's suffering. See, I think once we understand the sovereignty of God, followers of Jesus, we don't just gut it out. We don't just, oh, I'm just going to struggle through this suffering. No, no, no. We thrive. Our perspective is God is going to do something amazing with this. Here's your big so what today. This is the thing I want you to leave with. Real joy, real joy. I mean real joy. I don't mean earthly joy. I mean real joy, real contentment. It's found in trusting. You got to trust God. You got to trust that God only has your best interests at heart. You got to trust that God is going to use your situation. I don't know what your situations are. I know there's a myriad of situations going on in here. There's a crazy number of situations going on in here. Right? William Cowper was an Englishman and he lived in long ago. And uh, he really battled depression. Follower of Christ, follower of Christ. He totally battled depression and just hardship and suffering in his life. And one night he, he had just been ruminating on that. And he just thought, I'm going to end it. I'm ending it. I'm done. Enough suffering. And so he stepped out in front of his building. And he called a cabbie. And, and, and the cab was going to take him to the Thames River in London so that he could jump in and drown himself. And as soon as he got into it, man, just the craziest fog set in on the city of London. I mean, it was so thick, just, just thick, like they couldn't see anything. And he kept telling the driver, drive on. You got to get me to the Thames River. And, and he just said, I can't drive on. So the cabbie tried to, tried to, tried to go a little further. And he just couldn't. And finally, the cabbie says to him, I, I'm, I, you know, wherever we're at, I'm dropping you off here. I'm just dropping you off. I can't see anymore. I can't drive anymore. I, I, like, I'm just dropping you off here. And so he gets out of the cab, and when he wanders around the sidewalk, he's right back in front of his own building. <laughs> and he understood that God has spared his life through this terrible fog. And he goes back into his, his building, and he pens this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Are you suffering today? If you ain't suffering now, you're getting ready to, let me tell you.
It's the scores of life. I'm telling you this, man. God, God wants to do something beautiful with it. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't, I don't have an explanation. Maybe we won't get to see it. That's reality. But I believe this. God wants to do something powerful with your suffering. We got to trust God. We got to trust in God's sovereignty. We got to trust that God is absolutely 100% in control at all times and that he promises us that he's going to use it. What's the big now what? The big now what is this, man? Trust God. Trust God first. Trust God first. Don't trust the thoughts in your own head. Don't trust what other people are saying. Don't trust what they're writing in the newspaper. Don't trust what they're broadcasting on the news. Trust God. Trust God first. We know this. Romans 8 says this, that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know how you're suffering. I can sympathize with you. I can empathize with you, man. I'll give you a hug. I don't know. I know what it's like to suffer. Maybe not as much as you do, but I know God wants to use it. I know God wants to use it. We got to trust him. We got to trust him. And I think when we trust in his sovereignty, it changes our perspective. Can we suffer as followers of Jesus? Right? Listen, I'm not saying you can't say a word about it, but you may have a brother or sister that you can go to and say, hey, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. Yeah, share that with them. But man, what's our countenance? What's our attitude? How are we doing with that? Can we believe that God is going to use it for something beautiful? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophet Isaiah who wrote that some 2,700 years ago to encourage us today in 2021. Thank you, Jesus, that you help us with our suffering because, Jesus, you suffered. You know exactly what it's like. We trust that. We believe that, Jesus, you know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to be us, and we're grateful for that. We thank you, God, for your sovereignty. We thank you, God, that you are completely in control. We thank you that you're in control at all times, that you're always working this out for our good. Not for our pleasure. We acknowledge that, God. It's not, it's, it's not always pleasant. Father, I pray for those in the room this morning who are suffering right now. And you know who they are and you see who they are. And God, to those few individuals who I know are ready to walk away from faith because suffering has separated them from you. Holy Spirit, would you minister to them right now? Would they sense the presence of the Holy Spirit? Would they sense the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is comforting them right now? in their suffering.